Hey there, we're the Sci-Fi Guys, and this is that Those Sci-Fi Guys show. Just two working dudes, different lives, different jobs, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and the fun that comes with. We are your hosts. I am P.S. McKay, fresh from seeing Hamilton, and just like Hamilton, I'm going to get shot. I'm sorry, his song was my shot. Never mind. Um, I believe, uh... Hamilton was shot by the vice president of the United States. <laughs> he he was he was not. I don't think Aaron Burr was vice president at the time. Or maybe uh, he was and Jefferson was trying to fix that. Well, needless to say, Aaron Burr was not exactly the um Oh, we, neither we've of had them. we've had better vice presidents. <laughs> not, neither of those two gentlemen were exactly pinnacles of virtue and and uh goodness. But uh, the musical was good. Um, I've, I've learned that I think I'm losing my ability to hear baritone sounds. What I highly recommend is uh, running down a list of Trace Adkins songs. If you cannot hear him, <laughs> that means that you are not able to hear baritone. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. I'll have to take, that, take you up on that. So, did I cut cut you off on your intro? You did. I'm DT Cavman, and I don't know. I just I didn't get the Hamilton hype. I, I mean, I didn't fall into it either. I didn't see it. I, I saw bits and pieces of it on uh, Disney Plus when it came out a couple years ago. Mm. Um, so I kind of knew what was going on, but I didn't watch the whole thing. Uh, and then they came to town and. We got tickets, and uh, yeah, my in-laws came with us, and they were just as frustrated because they couldn't hear what was being said because of the baritone and some of the actors. It was just too great, and I, I don't know. There was something going on with the sound system that just didn't feel right. So You're P.S. McKay, and you went to an inferior product. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next up, Book of Mormon. So <laughs> Look, let's let's just be honest. I'm not saying I'm hating on Hamilton. It just didn't no, no. Uh, uh, well, yeah. Let's be clear. You're not hating on Hamilton. He just were you ever much of a musical person? Not really. Well, there you go. Outside of the occasional Disney movie and you know some of the great uh, songs from the early days of Family Guy, The Simpsons, <laughs> and Futurama, uh, the only musical that I routinely watch. Uh, Wizard of Oz aside, is the film version of 1776 on the 4th oh, of July. Oh, with Mr. Feeney himself playing John Adams. Fabulous. Yeah. The music is awesome. It's it's both. Uh, it I don't know how historically accurate it truly is, but it's... Uh, it's not. It, is <laughs> it, a, it gets it, the finer beats, but the bigger beats, but that's about it. It is a fantastic show. Uh, <laughs> it's it's poignant, but it's also funny and, dare I say, bawdy at times. Yes. We saw it. We saw it in high school. And uh, there was a lot of Thomas Jefferson burning. <laughs> I burn. Yes. <laughs> Penicillin won't be invented for another 150 years. No, but it was the different burning. It was the burning that'll require you to uh, get penicillin eventually. 
So, <laughs> well, while we're talking about things that are old, this weekend I moved in to my new place, uh, where hopefully this will be my permanent potting location as well. <laughs> but this weekend I sat back and I was tired from moving stuff. I cracked open a beer, ordered a pizza. And do you know what I put on? Stargate. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Oh, that's my favorite one. It's so good. I love that one. I love that one. And, you know, when you think about it, I mean, the movie itself is, is very well done. The cast, for the most part, you know, the every member of the original cast had a little piece of the pe- piece of the pie more than at Ryan times in some of the moment. other movies. Chekhov had her his moment. Yeah, everybody Sulu, had of course had his. Yeah, Sulu yeah. had. I loved I loved Sulu on the uh, Excelsior. I think Let's that was invented. Let's give them something else to shoot at. Yeah, I think, I mean, I what think a that selfless was, line. I believe that was just designed to keep Takei and Shatner off the stage together. I'm. I'm pretty damn sure it was. Didn't we talk about that uh, recently? Like no, no. Oh, I wonder if I was talking about it with someone else. Maybe, but still, odd. Sulu on the Excelsior, great move. Yeah, it was. Well, it made everyone happy, and, and no one was miserable in their last outing altogether. Yeah. So, and Sulu having his his old chair be empty as they. Go to the second star to the right and straight on till morning. Yes. The chair that was blown to shit. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, there was quite a few people in that movie that went on to either uh, to have numerous roles in Star Trek. And I, one of the more obvious ones is, of course, uh, Michael Dorn playing Colonel Worf. He yeah. is his own grandpa. Do you know how that came about? I don't know. Probably to tie in some of the next gen fans. They thought it would be a good thing. And actually Shatner. Oh, God. Was it Shat? It, I read this in his memoir uh, for the movies. And um, I, I honestly think it was Shatner who saw Michael Dorn on on the lot. Well, because both the show and uh, six were filming on the same lot uh, at the same time, obviously, with all the reused TNG sets and stuff, (laughs) Um, they did a good job of hiding most of that. Um, But he Shatner walked up to Michael and said, "Uh, I think we've got a good part for you. And it's a good, uh, you know, nice little nod to the fans of TNG if. we have you on and you play an ancestor of your character. And Michael just, you know, smiled real big and wide and said, I think that's a great idea. Sign me up. So, yes. Uh, his part does get trimmed back a little. He's the one who actually uncovers the shapeshifter is the sniper. Oh, was it shapeshifter? Well, it was well, I thought Odell. it was. I th- oh, yeah. I was going to say, I thought it was Rene Albert which oddly enough is not in the digital version. I I actually enjoy the the scene 
the operation, whatever rescue scene, uh, where they march in, they they throw up the the chart and they give a, a tactical briefing, and I found that to be very fascinating in light of some of the discussions we've had as to whether or not Starfleet is an effective military, but. And of course, this was an allegory for the fall of the Berlin Wall. And the uh, eventual peace between Chernobyl. the United States and the uh, yes, Chernobyl, plus the eventual peace between the United States and the dissolving Soviet Union. But when you start hearing about you're not talking about mothballing the Starfleet, are you dismantling our star bases and space stations along the neutral zone? Oh, no, I believe that, you know, Starfleet's uh, scientific and exploration arms will still be. So at that time, I think the the Starfleet had gotten a little bit more militant, especially if you look at the way the ships were designed. Yeah, a little no, thicker, a little tougher, you know, easier to identify weapons ports. A little more streamlined. Yep. And no, not, that's not as fragile around the necks and the nacelles. No, no. No, you're right. And I, I just love the idea that when some big event like that happens, it's immediately in the talks. Well, we're going to we're going to lessen the military spending and, you know, pull back on all that crap. Do even the people who are most anti-war in Hollywood, they write these stories like, I don't know. Rip from the headlines. Star Wars on Star Force Awakens. It wasn't the whole reason why. <laughs> Wasn't the whole reason why the the Republic fell or the New Republic fell was because uh, demilitarization. They demilitarized the Republic. Like how stupid was that? Well, if you read any of the even the canon uh, ancient history of Star Wars, every time the Republic demilitarizes, it pretty much falls. <laughs> <laughs> well, all well and good, however. You can put in. I understand what I, I understand what they're trying to say, but then then sign me out of the Star Wars universe because if they're just going to be doing this endless cycle like this, then forget it. As true now as it was when it was written. <laughs> Let us celebrate coming of milk to chocolate, and it shall happen yet again. Yes. Matrix, uh, I which mean, I haven't that, seen the new one. A, Have you I, seen the new one? No, I, I watched the original. I thought it was pretty entertaining, but I just didn't get into the series. Um, but uh, going back to Star Trek VI, um, kind of this will help us dovetail into today's topic. But I was if you wondering look, if you were going to do that. So, if you look at Star Trek VI, you have Michael Dorn as Worf, Colonel Worf. You have Chancellor Gorkin, who was played by the great David Warner, who had actually been in the previous Star Trek movie as a human diplomat on Nimbus 3. Remember, that's the planet oh, that was yeah. supposed to be the planet of peace, the humans, yep. the Romulans, and the Klingons. They had the, the fat I totally forgot Trek about Hulk. that. You're right. Just one movie before. Like well, <laughs> I just recently learned today that they were really looking at uh, Jack Palance to play Gorkin, but he was too expensive. So yes. <laughs> Nicholas Meyer went and asked David Warner. He's like, you want to come back? 
Sure, and let's make let's make him look like Lincoln, so uh, so they can tell that he's serious about peace. And David Warner's performance as Gorkin was absolutely perfect. Really, uh, a Klingon who was wise and even at times almost affable. It was a little bit different. But, uh, you know, so he also then would play Gull Madrid on the great next-gen two-parter chain of command. So he's gone on to face off against both Kirk and Picard. Which uh, so, someone else had pointed out that David Warner has faced off against both Patrick Stewart and William Shatner. Uh, quite rare, but pretty awesome. Uh, so uh, another another actor who has appeared in multiple Star Trek projects, Kurtwood Smith as the president, <laughs> who went on to play Anorax in Year of Hell. That's right. Thrax mm-hmm. in Deep Space Nine. I forgot he about was, Thrax. I did the the Inquisitor slash lawyer slash whatever from Lower Decks during that uh, supposed <laughs> trial scene. Oh my God! Uh, <laughs> Brock Peters playing Admiral Cartwright, reprising the role from Star Trek Four, who went on to also portray Joseph Sisko. Benjamin Sisko's father, and yep. in an interesting twist, in one of some of the original audio plays for Star Wars, did the voice of Darth Vader. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. That is impressive. Yeah, I learned about that. I think it, I think it was one of those things that might have popped up during the special edition. And then I believe was reiterated when he passed. Huh. So found that uh, very fascinating. That is fascinating. I like that. Thank you for sharing that. That's good. You're welcome. Uh, You know, just one of those great character actors. I also, I think he was in the, the movie version of To Kill a Mockingbird, now that I think about it. That's possible. Wouldn't uh, wouldn't put it past it. Dang. Well, well, why don't you take us into what our subject is tonight? So, as I was talking about people who had either come back to the trek or or whatnot, one of the things I started thinking about recently is who we've talked about. You know, some of our favorite characters. We talked about some of our the best sci-fi captains. But I think we should discuss some of the most underrated characters yes. in some of our favorite properties. Yes. Uh, now, this was a, a discussion that I actually had with my darling wife, who actually had a suggestion. And if you don't mind, I'd like to lead off with it. Please. That suggestion. Don't mind. From a fan or fan favorite show, a cult classic, and a favorite of ours here, those sci-fi guys, from Futurama, Kiff Croker. Oh, Kiff. 
the long suffering <laughs> assistant slash aide slash subordinate to the oh. ever ridiculous blowhard Zap Brannigan. Jeff sigh could almost it was a punctuation to a punchline for every Zap yeah. Brannigan hairbrained idea, creepy phrase or, or sentence. And his defeated sigh <laughs> was just usually perfectly timed. Kiff yep. was generally competent, was fairly intelligent. Uh, hell, he hooked up with, uh, you know, he's, he, he got a, a rich and gorgeous uh, girlfriend in Amy Wong. Yep. And... Uh, <laughs> I think because he was he was killed in one of the movies and reconstituted. And when he found out that Zap slept with Amy, finally punched him out. (laughs) Well deserved, by the way. Well deserved. I hate Zap Brannigan. He was the worst. There was nothing endearing about Zap. There was nothing endearing about that was kind of why he was a hilarious character. Because he was just uh, such overblown. He was such a caricature of of uh, William Shatner and James T. Kirk amongst all these other <laughs> blowhards. He's, he's you know eminently incompetent. I mean that's the joke. He's still he's always in. He somehow gets back in charge. <laughs> and, and I understand that. I just I found him insufferable. Now, I he just kind of supposed to be. To be honest with you, I agree. I agree, but maybe a little too insufferable. But I mean, as you can see, we're already talking about Zach Brannigan, which proves that Kiff is underrated. Because well, Kiff Zach Brannigan isn't. I bet you Zach Brannigan would be less insufferable if he wasn't such a douche to Kiff, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Everything from using his personal bathroom to (laughs) asking, having him shave him in the shower to. Or is the H word? Kiff, what's the most degrading job we have? Being your assistant. Wrong. Being your assistant. He makes Fry Kiff's assistant because he thinks that's more. Oh my God. That's that's a pretty great gig, actually. And Kiff actually kind of becomes a bit of a dick. Uh I need you to mix those nuts. I see two almonds touching. (laughs) Oh my God. But uh, or like when Kiff gets knocked up a notch when he accidentally gets pregnant. Oh yeah. Oh shoot. <laughs> Every time they go back to his planet and they have to see the grand whatever, and she's just like, "And now you need to eat this snake." And they're eating the snake, and she's like, "It's not part of the ceremony. I just had this extra snake." Oh jeez. <laughs> so. God, that's a good show. It is a good show. That's it's such, such a, a great show. show. And Kiff Croker is definitely uh, an underrated uh, comic gem. His timing. I, I was re-listening to our uh, our podcast about uh, Futurama, and we were talking about Amazon <laughs> women in the mood, and when Zach Brannigan <laughs> crashes the crashes the the, the restaurant, they're at. Oh, she's built like a steakhouse, but handles like a bistro. It's like, <laughs> here we are. We crashed on this uncharted planet, and Kiff finally has had it. And he's like, 
It is not Uncharted. You lost the chart. <laughs> or, or when, even earlier in that episode where, where Kiff is nervous about his date with Amy and he's actually asking Zap for help and Zap gives him his book of pickup oh, lines. God. The, the most erotic part of the woman is the boobs. <laughs> <laughs> he's freaking out, and yeah, he's he's part way between long suffering assistant, nervous Nelly, and occasional badass like in yeah. the uh, three hundred big ones, the little vignettes where they all get like the three hundred dollar rebate. Yeah, and they're all having their adventures in the fight where they actually take the stuff from the spiders. Kiff is out there with a double handed like Darth Maul style uh, fly swatter, just crushing these spiders. <laughs> and he's like seriously kicking ass until Zap actually runs him over with the fucking truck. He's like, hey, I've won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or anytime they go up against an enemy and Kip's like, um, we shouldn't do that. And Zap's like, wrong, we're going to do that. <laughs> That's a good one. I when approve. They all, when they all get fired... When Zap gets cashiered for blowing up the dupe headquarters because he's declaring war on those filthy neutrals. Yep. And then he's about to get cashiered, but then he's like, oh, but it was mostly Kiff's fault anyway. And so Kiff gets tossed out too. <laughs> and then they end up working for Planet Express. And then Kiff, you know, ends up being basically Leela's uh, XO on the ship. And there's... She the first time he compliments him, he's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> like, and then she just kind of she compliments him for his good work. And he's like, I don't know what to do with this. And then he starts going off about how much he hates Zap. And then he just makes himself obnoxious and insufferable to Leela because of how much he hates Zap. And yeah. She's like, oh my God, can we talk about anything else but Zap? So yes, Kiff was a very fun character. I don't know. Maybe not the maybe not the first one when you think of the best supporting characters of Futurama, but definitely a really good one. That would be my first stop. Oh God, I'm trying to recalibrate here. I've got one. I'm gonna save it. By all means. But um, the other one, we can gloss over. Okay, all right, I got it. Um, <laughs> you can you you at least saw the first few episodes, so I'm gonna bring up. Uh, shit, I don't even know his last name. It's Sergeant Walter something. He is the guy that's in charge of encoding the Stargate as the team is about to go off world, and he goes Chevron one encoded, Chevron two encoded. Also, he's like Chevron the, three. He looks like the uh, the Stargate version of the rotating cons, uh, at, you know, con officers on the Enterprise D. Yes, yes. Actually, his name is Walter Harriman. There you go, Sergeant <laughs> Walter Harriman. So, <laughs> um, he proceeded to not have a name for like seven seasons, but he was consistently there saying Chevron one encoded through seven. Um. And it wasn't until an episode where they do a flash forward mm. where and it takes place in 2010 and the team has to, you know, use, you, usurp the Stargate 
and try to use it to go through a wormhole that's passing through a supernova, which will cause them to go back, uh, start a, a wormhole that goes back in time to the present, 19, I'm sorry, 2004 or something like that. Because they're trying to send a message back to themselves to not go to this one planet where it has this high, highly technologically advanced alien race that will share all their technology, but they quietly take over the Earth by making all of human, all the humans infertile and turning them into an agrarian society. So, yeah, it's subtle. It's a long game play, but... When they're going to the Stargate, it is very intriguing. And and so uh, when they're getting to the Stargate and they're they're Harriman finds them and holds them up with the gun and says, you guys can't do this. I got to call this in. And uh, Jack O'Neill's like, listen. Walter. Right. That was when we learned his first name was Walter. He had any name at all. It was always Sergeant or Airman. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then he had a he had an increased uh, role at, in seasons eight through ten. Um, yeah, Gary Jones, he'll be missed. Oh, he he passed, huh? No, but he's just not in the show. The show's not on. He'll be missed. Oh, well, it's always <laughs> nice when you know somebody gets a gets a bit of a one. You know, sounds a little bit like that David Corwin character who was always the little toady ops guy in Babylon Five. Yes, yeah. Who finally got like a name, like halfway through the series, and like a first name, like in season four, and he basically became the XO to Lockley in this final season. Yeah. Um, so he he got a little bit more play. Yeah. Um, and that's what happened here. This guy was a good, he was a good serviceman. He he was not incompetent. He didn't make mistakes. They didn't make him look like a buffoon for comedic sake or anything like that. They used the civilian scientists to do that. But <laughs> well, I approve of that message. So yeah, good work creates good rewards. So yeah. All right. I, I, Usually, I'm though, when a TV show has a long, you know, has a long recurring, you know, guest character, like side character, and they end up getting a lot of screen time, that usually means they're about to get axed. So <laughs> if he made it through that episode without it's, getting killed, then. Yeah. Well, I, he could have died, but that was in the future in 2010. So. <laughs> So that's my contribution. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I had a very hard time calibrating to this subject. I've got at least one more. I might be able to come up with another one off the top of my head as you well, as you go through. I'm going to toss out one that might be controversial. Oh, don't worry. I've got one that's going to be controversial. So. <laughs> this person was actually a main character. Oh, I think it's the same one. <laughs> But I think Natasha Yar is a very underrated character. Not even the same. Okay, we're good. They actually tried to develop a bit of a rich backstory to her. Now, the problem is that they developed an even more rich backstory to her when she died. (laughs) Yeah. But Denise Crosby 
in what limited screen time they gave her early, did try to give you something. You see someone mm -hmm. who is eminently competent, someone who didn't really take shit from anybody. Nope. She was, you know, a straight up badass. She was absolutely gorgeous. But, you know, aside from maybe the, you know, the, the bullshit on, uh, you know, the, what is it, the naked, naked time? Now. The naked yeah, now. Naked now. Um, it was the naked time. But when it, when it, and maybe that whole code that of honor so thing. Bad. She was, you know, very sexualized. She was usually shown as, you know, competent, hardworking, um, actually tried to mentor. Yeah. She, she actually, uh, one of the, I think it was the symbiosis episode or whatever one, which was really the last episode she filmed. And she's like talking to Wesley about drugs. Yes, that was the last one she felt. And of course, it's very yep. 80s ham-fisted drug stuff, but they tried to... say a just-say-no moment. Yeah, but, you know, she was kind of real with him. It's like, you get lost in it, you know? She... <laughs> yeah, this is true. But she, uh... I mean, when, when they brought her back on yesterday's Enterprise, she straight-up knocked it out of the park. That... Yeah. That episode was as much a Tasha Yar episode. She was really like the focal character. Yeah. When you watch it. It's uh and it's interesting. Did you did you hear the brouhaha that happened on Twitter? Oh, uh, because Rick Berman. Rick Berman. Yeah. Yeah. Rick Berman's kind of got himself into some heat over the last couple of years, like where he's like Terry Farrell came out and called him misogynistic and he's refute you know he's refuted that and you know uh you know denise crosby straight up blew up his tweet about how she <laughs> gave him how she how how she supposedly gave rick her com badge and and she's like oh no that's not how i remember it you just ripped it off my chest saying well you don't need that anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's yeah. just let's just go ahead and and uh, gloss over the fact that he pretty much put his hands on her chest. Well, I mean, there's a way to do it, but it is a violation uh, either way. I mean, <laughs> it's certainly not a move that I would I would ever consider. <laughs> I, and by the way, I'm not even qualifying in this day and age. It is certainly a move that I would never have considered, be it 1987 or 88 or now. So, yeah. so <laughs> but going back to Yar as the character, uh, I mean, and you can see just how much she could enjoy chewing the scenery when you gave her the role of Sela as well. But one yeah. of the things I loved about All Good Things is that Denise Crosby and Calmini come back to reprise their roles from the pilot. And now you have Tasha and Miles on the bridge and Tasha gets a, a little chance to interact with Picard and Troy and, and whatnot and a little bit um, reminiscent of what she should have had going forward. Yeah. And of course, obviously the best Tasha Yar episode is 
uh, yesterday's Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, it shows her at her absolute best, although her hair at her absolute worst. <laughs> it was. It was Wesley's hair. Yeah, it really was. When we <laughs> when we read Q, what was it? Q squared. Q squared. Peter and David did not hold back on what he thought about her hair. No, through through her character, right. by the way. <laughs> Ta- Tasha Yar is a, a character that was completely deserved. Um, so poorly, and there was a lot of potential with her. Yes, uh, and I'm glad that there was enough reconciliation that she was able to come back and take part in two of the best episodes of the next generation as Tasha Yar and another set of great episodes as Sela. Actually oh two great two partners with Sela. I I wish that they had brought her back for Nemesis, but Oh, that would have been great. That was supposed to be her instead of uh that, that woman um Oh Dina Meyer as um yeah it was Sinatra. supposed to be yeah it was supposed to be Sela, not Sinatra. so uh but they i guess she had a scheduling conflict or something oh, that's that that would have been so good i, I mean, mean not that dina meyer isn't great i mean she she's she's got some decent sci-fi cred being in starship troopers and whatnot but um yeah that would have been huge you know what would and take a quick break from this list to and do you hear the announcement that came out today from Paramount? Oh God, no! And I'm I'm terrified now. They have confirmed that there will be at least guest spots next oh, year. Oh yeah, I did hear about all this. the main yeah. cast of the Next Generation coming back, oh. which would be nice and. I'm hoping that Michael Dorn gets to wear his regular Klingon makeup. <laughs> I all I can think of is how much more are they going to fuck them up? That's all. <laughs> well, I thought Riker and Troy got some decent love in this in last in first season one. They got decent love with the stupidest lines ever. With a, a silicon, uh, I've told you Dude, this. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> I don't want to hear any more about this. Okay. Okay. Overall, I think we saw some of Troy's best counseling in that episode. That was the only time she was ever really a counselor. Mm, there were others, but it was always like... She... <laughs> like, it, it, they, did, they didn't allow her to really be the character she should have been. Well, they didn't know how to be a counselor. I mean, Guinan was the counselor, right? right? Actually, you're right. Hold on, Guinan. Huh? What the? F- we talked about this, but now I'm just having a real realiz- a re-realization about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I'm excited because if nothing else, I mean, we get them all in one scene together. And what I would hope, maybe you get. Denise Crosby back as Sila. I, I, I mean, uh, there it, are Romulans everywhere. My assumption there are. is that Elnor will be restored to life, and Picard will hang out with Laris. So there's Romulans afoot. So, 
we can all we can do is just see. I mean, it's a it's a thought and it's an intriguing thought. I, yeah. I you know I don't know what her situation is with the. Uh, well, she doesn't have a situation with the current producer, so I don't know. Hmm. Yes, and here's hoping she's not being forgotten, because again. I thought Tasha Yar was a as a very promising character who was underserved. That's just me, but I think she's underrated. Nope, I agree. Nope, I I, I approve of said message. Okay. Okay, you've got another one. Sorry, my computer was about to tip over, so <laughs> that would have been disastrous. Um, staying in the same vein, Worf, mm, underappreciated, next, 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 next generation, generation Worf. There is literally, I just looked it up, there is literally a 15-minute video of Worf getting denied and denied again on YouTube. 15 yeah. minutes! <laughs> he was always so quick to action. Picard didn't really let him off the chain much. No! Cisco let him off the chain more. Oh, all the time. But poor Worf, I mean, he just... He, you never got to see him do what he does. I mean, only when other Klingons were around. Like, he'd still get his ass handed to him by other, by other aliens. Usually when they were trying to make somebody look like a threat. Yeah. Worf get his ass kicked. I mean, there was a couple of times where he whooped some ass. I mean, it was kind of... Fun to watch him go ham against the Borg in First Contact and against those uh, machines and uh, like the, the the drones in Insurrection. Yeah. Standing there with the a fucking bazooka. Oh, my God. I remember your chortling when that when that thing came out. <laughs> I mean, they turned him into fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger. Assimilate this. Yeah, they know they did. <laughs> I don't be worth By the way, let's talk about the guts that it takes to bring a a, a large, sharp knife out with you in your cloth-based EV suit. (laughs) It's it's the cold darkness of the vacuum of space. That's a gutsy move. Worf doesn't need your permission, bitch. Uh, He's Worf. A gutsy move, man. I just realized that. <laughs> you know, you know, he needed to actually cut his spacesuit a little bit just to hide those enormous balls that it takes to be wharf. Oh my god! <laughs> didn't he? He didn't his suit get perforated by a, yep. a, a shot, a phaser shot? That uh, was like the Borg's little, yeah. You know, probably nostril trimmer that was on the other end, <laughs> and he like uses like the Borg cord and the arm floating great sight gag so (laughs) uh, i'll agree next generation war particularly the first half of next generation wharf was uh, and was basically set dressing they i mean he was he got more involved when tasha yar was killed true because it just reduced the number of people in the cast and it actually gave him a job it's like what we talked about with Jordy when they kicked Jordy down to engineering and gave him a full-time job. Right. It helped round out his character a little more. Same with Worf. Right. Worf is actually the first guy who is the tactical 
like the 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 long running tactical officer was kind of like the prototype. I mean that they, they wanted that for Tasha, but you know everybody was behind that in season one. I I and I I do appreciate that background, but it's it's just it's 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 interesting that they showed him trying to shy away from being a father. And 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 that's fine. I mean it 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 showed his growth to you know with Alexander and everything, but they didn't show his career. They didn't show him doing exceptionally well in his career being like a, a, a security mastermind, so to speak. No, you know what I mean? To stand down. Although yeah. the Klingon episodes really showed Worf's character. It showed his character and it showed yeah. him wanting to be a warrior, but it didn't show the security prowessness. No, and that's you're... that's my emphasis. And you'll know I, my, where my beef will be about these things, because I, I agree. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you this, though. Like, when you see Sins of the Father and you realize just how honorable a man Worf truly is, I mean, that's fucking... No, yeah, no, I... I... And you I've continue to see this this um, honorable martyrdom that Worf kind of puts on later at the end of Redemption, you know, when he spares Tyrell and he kind of comes back and bites him in the ass in the Deep Space Nine. A little bit. <laughs> but, you know, and of course in Deep Space Nine, Worf's honor gets him expelled from the <laughs> Empire and dooms his brother and all this fun stuff. But I agree. Next Gen Wharf, particularly first four seasons, three anyway, definitely underutilized. Uh, and underappreciated. Yes. So, oh, well, I, thought, I was, was afraid. This, this guy's going to be a major threat to the Enterprise. You just chucked Wharf halfway across the ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was afraid that you would feel this would be a controversial uh, uh, topic, so no, I'm, glad, I'm glad you enjoy it. That before Worf really grew on Deep Space Nine. You're right. Well, that well, that was still a shitty dad on Deep Space Nine, but still a shitty dad, yeah. Which which is and which, a shitty son, which, by the way, adoptive son. <laughs> yeah, well, it's hard, you know. I mean, especially when you're pretty much standing him up next to the best father in all of Star Trek. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> Avery Brooks, you know, best dad in Star Trek right now. Oh, yeah. Well, didn't every father... Let's see, Picard's father was an asshole. Riker's father was an asshole. Kirk's father was dead. Well, Kirk's I mean... Fa- uh, yeah. father was an asshole. Spock's father was an asshole. Troy's father was dead. Yeah, Wesley's so they're either dead, dead. Or Jordy's father? Do we know anything about Jordy's father? Yeah, he was a great song and dance man on Broadway. He was played by Ben Vereen in that episode where his mother's ship disappears. Did, I think he was. I think he was a scientist. It's been so long. It's a weird episode. Uh, it is a weird episode. Because it's not one worthy of rewatching. That's the thing. Um, but he does talk to his dad, right? Yeah. I felt like they were. He was estranged from his parents, though. Seems seems to be. Okay. So, so, there is something there. Something's I mean, going on with the TNG crew, where their parents are. are all of Tasha's parents were murdered. Yep. Uh, 
I mean, Worf's parents were murdered. I mean, Worf truly loved his adopted parents. It was just cultural differences and Worf being Worf, but you could tell he had a lot of great affection for his parents. Yeah, yeah. It was, still yeah. wasn't a great... He'd still, they had a rough time with kids, the Rishenkos. They really did. They didn't, they didn't get a whole lot of great... great well, ones. they did not. It was still... <laughs> not um, only that, their adoptive son killed a kid on a soccer field. Yeah. <laughs> when you got a wharf, you got a wharf. But... All right. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and jump to my next underrated character. I will stay in Star Trek, and I'll stay in Klingons. One of my all-time favorites, a great underrated character who needs to get more love, General Martok. Is he underrated, though? Yeah, when you compare him, like, everybody, it's always Garrick and Nog. When they talk about Deep Space Nine and their extended cast, Wayoon, those usually get Dukat. They usually get the, the love first. Martok's kind of down the list. Martok is by far one of my all-time favorite characters on Star Trek because he's just so Martok. He's I'm he's he's like the he's the first full Klingon that is that doesn't look upon humans as like some kind of a front to to Klingonness. Right. And uh, I mean he he's an equal opportunity um warrior mm-hmm. and i Which love when he starts waxing like. poetically oh yeah whether it's about marriage <laughs> or wine or combat we shall yeah. feast we shall we shall drink the finest blood wine on the sands of the uh, what, uh, what, on I their have, bodies i have a dozen barrels of 2309 <laughs> there is no finer vintage he's just <laughs> so vehement about it or, or when it's uh, in your cordially invited, when his wife comes and he's mm-hmm. like, and she just, just tears him into my asshole. And he's like, <laughs> oh, it's so like he's smelling battle. Uh, <laughs> he, he is, and I, I love what Nog decides he's going to want to try to like arrest Martok for loitering. Oh, and, yeah. And he finally stands up to him and. <laughs> you are either very brave or very foolish. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of both. And yeah. then he kind of laughs. And gives not a nod the next yep. time he sees Cadet. Yep. And, the, and he listens to, to Nog in the next round. So. <laughs> you know, it's. Um, or, you know. Wow. Uh, what was the first episode of season six just after the fleet gets their ass kicked and they're regrouping and then the defiant and the return and and um and and martok comes looking for bashir because you know and they were buddies in the the uh prison camp yes and, uh, but he goes klingons make wonderful war or make Fabulous warriors, but terrible doctors. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a time to stand. That was the first episode. Uh, it, yeah. Um, everything from, or even when Worf, he's like, hey, uh, Mr. Worf, we, we think, uh, what do you think about becoming the new Federation ambassador to Kronos? 
finally an ambassador I can go targ hunting with. <laughs> He's just so Martok. <laughs> oh, gee. Jamie then Kirchler. You, but then you see him like in the core's last episode where he's got this righteous anger against core because he was denied to join the imperial fleet because he was a from a poor you know family and you know you see a side of martok that's just a tad vindictive but the man is bitter his honor has been bitterly hurt yeah but what i like about martok is he's a multifaceted character he recognizes Worf's contribution or when he realizes that Worf was willing to give up his life for him to help him regain his honor in Soldiers of the Empire. Yep. And what does he do? He brings Worf into his family. Yeah. Something something I I did not expect on that first round, by the way. Ah, that was such and a it felt, good it felt relief too with that. I, I it just felt it felt good to see that he was back, you know, in a house, a reputable house with with in the Klingon council, really, you know? Yeah. I mean, for everybody who loves Gowron, who's great, those damn bug eyes. But, <laughs> but Martok, Martok is my favorite Klingon not named Worf. Can we just talk about, we got to see Gowron's entire chancellorship from beginning to end. Being dictated by pretty much by <laughs> Worf. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like he, Worf helped him get there, and then Worf takes him out. <laughs> I put you on the throne. I can take you. <laughs> it took it took two different series to do it, but he did it. Like just insane. <laughs> For this, we do not forgive or forget. <laughs> Oh, goes, yeah. I love when he goes full bug eyed. Oh, yeah. Forget. <laughs> yeah. Still, he was a fun character and always, always good. But Martok for me. I yeah. Love Martok. All right. I, I'll go with it. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Another guy who was great at chewing scenery as a guest a- actor, Jay Z Hersley. They just, they just seem to do it. He had a great God. voice, though. You know, when you have these guys who have great voices, it really helps, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, that's how I felt about uh, the captain of that Galaxy-class ship uh, in the Jem'Hadar. Alan Oppenheimer, the voice yes. of Skeletor. Yeah, that I, I wanted more of him, and they just blew him up. <laughs> All you have to do is watch the original rerun of He-Man, and he did, like, 18 voices. The guy's an extremely prolific voice actor, but uh-huh. I think Skeletor might be the most famous. He did reprise a role in the most recent Masters of Universe, where he played the role of Mossman, a character he had voiced in the original series. That's right. But when they brought on Luke Skywalker to play Skeletor, they decided to bring the old boy back for a little love, which I was happy about. Yeah. Man, and he is 92. Gonna be 92. Wow. So Hey folks, let's let's when we go ahead and we bring up the, the ages of some of these actors who and actresses who we love. And they're still kicking in their eighties and nineties. We're just gonna go ahead and tip our hats to these uh, people who've been yeah. giving us decades of phenomenal entertainment. <laughs> Deservedly so. 
Good idea. Jesus. But thank you, Captain Skeletor. All right, your turn. What do you got? I don't have one. I can't think of another one. I thought one. you had one. I well, it was Wharf. That was it. Was Wharf. Um, and then getting uh, Sergeant Harriman was a, a luck draw. I can think of one other person uh, from Stargate SG One who was the stunt coordinator. He played Sergeant Siler. But uh, much like how you had the stunt coordinator, next gen always playing, you know, some sort of red shirt or bad guy or something. Yeah. His ass kicked. Yeah, except he had lines and he had a recurring role as as Sergeant Siler. And, cool. and he would have his ass like kicked thrown across the room from the Stargate capacitor blowing or him being knocked down a set of stairs because Sam Carter accidentally knocked him over when she was um being distracted and <laughs> and he he would always it started to get to the point where he would start saying, "Well, why does this happen?" And that's the joke. He makes it happen because he's the the stunt, you know, coordinator and everything. Okay. But speaking of stunt people who uh so Patricia Tallman, she uh, played Lita Alexander on Babylon Five. Yes, she you did. Know, for, at times a recurring character, at times a starring character. But she actually was also like a professional stunt woman. I believe it had been Gate Mc, Gates McFadden's stunt woman on the next generation. She could have. It she also like she had, have. had she also had, had a few like background roles in, in a couple of different Star Trek series as well. Yep. Um, but tip of the hat to your stunt people who you know, end up getting a, an acting job and get some screen time. Yeah. Because she was actually a pretty damn good character in Babylon 5. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. You see those stunt people make that crossover. And uh, it's it's fun to see. Or when you when you realize that someone was, like, hired as a stuntman and then they end up getting a job or yeah. the military advisor ends up having a recurring role or the the firefighter advisor or like Yellowstone has a couple of real cowboys as oh. characters on, on there to add some authenticity to it. Well, look, look no further than full metal jacket and Arlie army. All right. Or seal yeah, I mean, team. He was, he, he was the, he was the advisor. Yeah. And Kubrick was like, you're better than our actor. Get out there. Yep. Start doing it. <laughs> if you've ever watched the uh, CBS Now Paramount Plus show SEAL Team starring David Boreanaz. Uh, oh, I've seen that, yeah. Uh, two of the guys uh, were stunt. Uh, two of the background guys who were part of the main team were, you know, always in the episodes. They are, one was an Army Ranger. I think another one was Special Forces. And one dude... Actually, his his whole arm was jacked up in Iraq or Afghanistan, and it's all scarred, and it looks like he was missing some some muscle. And you, for a while, you don't see it, but in the later seasons, he actually they actually started showing his hmm. arm kind of prominently. And then a third member of the team uh, is the guy who was, I think he was a canine police officer. Who also was then the guy who handled their their canine in the show. So, you know, this show has been going on. It's, it's renewed for six seasons. 
Oh yeah, and they went full time. They they they'd been on CBS and then transferred to Paramount Plus this year. And like the first episode where they're dropping f bombs, it felt a little forced. But after a while, it's like, come on, man, they're fucking Navy <laughs> SEALs. You know, let let's let's let Navy SEALs be Navy SEALs, and then it's there to sound more, more like natural military. Yeah. Like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, Don't, if you're gonna step in my fucking face. It's like, okay, that's what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> Sir, this this mission's about to this is this mission's bullshit, which you'd probably hear from SEALs, maybe not so much your conventional infantrymen standing in around in the line, but needless to say. Anyway, so tip the hat to the good stunt people and uh, advisors and coordinators out there who actually get some decent screen time and maybe a character out of it. You know who's really doing that? Uh, just one quick aside. Have you heard of Zoe Bell? Mm. She was no. in. She was a stunt coordinator for The Hateful Eight. Uh huh. And uh, she had a role with uh, Quentin and everything. Did all uh. of her own stunts. Helped with the other stunts and everything. Like she's turned her stunt career into a full-on acting gig now. Well, that's like Ray like, Park. Doesn't yeah, get a, doesn't get a, get a ton of lines, but he he goes out there and he kicks ass. You know, Darth Maul, uh, yep, Toad from right. X Men. He was the actually he was I believe he was the body of the headless horseman in Tim Burton's uh, Sleeping <laughs> Hollow. He did a great job. He yeah. did a great job in that one. <laughs> that was and, good. Uh, did the mocap for the the season of uh, the series finale of the Clone Wars. For Darth Maul in his fight oh, with Ahsoka. Yep. Oh, good. And in the Mandalorian episode, The Jedi, where they meet Ahsoka, the, the woman who plays Morgan Elsbeth, the Imperial loyalist who's, run, who's the governor who fights Ahsoka, is Bruce Lee's uh, goddaughter. Oh, wow. Okay. Bad so ass. There's some range there. Oh, and one more thing. You know the the guy who won best uh, or who won best supporting actor for Coda? Uh, the deaf actor. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who invented the Tuscan Raider sign language for the Mandalorian. Oh, he did. He did. Oh, cool. After he won, a whole bunch of those articles came out. So that that was pretty cool. Well, that's so. interesting. I like that. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, getting back to, uh, I'll, I'm going to power through a couple here real quick. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I'm starting to run out of some steam. But an underrated character from Babylon 5, Vir Koto. Vir. Vir. <laughs> this, this kind, uh, sweetheart of a man who's assigned to <laughs> a down-on-his-luck ambassador at the ass end of the galaxy, according to the Centauri, and eventually is a man surrounded by evil and intrigue who still strives to do the right thing. When he was assigned to the Centauri mission on Minbar, he actually was trying to uh, use his diplomatic credentials to funnel Narn survivors out of the conflict zone, which of course got him fired. But yeah, 
he was doing that, and he was the one who actually helped Mondo actually dethrone the emperor, the mad emperor Kataja. <laughs> and at the end of the series, he is the emperor of the Centauri Republic. And while he was a main character, a lot of people will speak about a lot of, you know, like Jakar and Mondo and Sheridan. That's Dwayne. right. He had credits. This guy was, I think, in from almost the beginning. Yeah. And he was in the credits, and he he technically ends the last episode of the series before the epilogue as the new Centauri ambassador to Babylon 5 before eventually succeeding Londo on the throne of the Centauri Republic. So where he then rebuilds the Centauri after all the dark years that they've had. Yeah. Uh, so Veer Koto, played by the late, great Stephen First, Flounder yep. from Animal House, <laughs> who was both at times the heart, the humor, and the conscience of the show. Mm-hmm. Who could be pushed around by Londo, although you could tell Londo cared for him deeply and would at times oh, try yeah. to get him away from the darkness. But his lines to Morton, it's like, what do you want, Virkoto? I'd like to live just long enough to see them put your head on a pike and leave it outside the palace <laughs> for so a thousand generations can see that some deals come with a too high a price. And then I'll walk up and I'll wave at your lifeless little eyes. And when they finally kill Morden, it's this Londo gives Morden, uh, gives Veer Morden's head on a pike. And he goes up <laughs> and he does the little wave. Oh my God. Hey. Veer, is the, Veer is like the one, is like the one guy in the entire series of Babylon 5 who gets exactly what he wants. Yes, this is true. And you know what? I, I You can't not love Veer. I mean, he is extremely loyal to a man he knows is, is, is bringing everyone down around him. <laughs> when he, when Londo sends him to go talk with the techno mages and they try to frighten him and with all their tricks. And he's like, I am, I am Virkoto, uh, attache to the Centauri ambassador Londo Malari. And he kind of repeats it like the, I am the Nagum and Toya thing. Yes. Yes. Techno mages <laughs> come out. You're, you do not frighten easily if you're Koto. It's like, I work for <laughs> Ambassador Malari. After a while, things don't tend to frighten you much. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So uh, he, had, he had some great lines, but he also showed great heart. I mean, when all the Centauri were turning into complete douchebags, he was the one guy who even Jakar didn't really hate. That's true. Car wanted to kill Londo, but yeah, God damn. And he did beat the shit out of Veer once when he was on like high on like angel dust and was trying to kill Londo, and right, Veer just happened to be there. <laughs> and that when when Jakar was like locked away is when he starts getting into his religious roots, and then kind of comes out, starts doing whole religious icon thing. But yeah, Veer was a was a. Great character. Stephen First knocked it out of the park. Who could be at times so 
overwhelmed and yet so strong at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just, I always had a soft, po- soft spot for old Veer. Oh, how could you not? <laughs> I, it just hearing Peter Jurassic just in his Sentani voice going, Veer. <laughs> and it wasn't even like, and it wasn't even like antagonizing. Like sometimes he would say it very nicely, Veer. <laughs> it still, it still was that style. Veer. <laughs> Peter Jurassic's delivery was just so good. He had certain like Mr. Morden. <laughs> it's just, certain things were just dragged out. It was, it was so good. Babylon Five was such a great show. It really was. Hey, we'll get to see it again. That and Stargate. So all all by the original creators. So and here's hoping. Moving on from fear. <clears throat> Excuse me. Crossing over into another great franchise, one with a little bit more public appeal, Star Wars. In Star Wars The Clone Wars, one of my favorite recurring characters, who doesn't get near as much credit, not like Ahsoka or Rex or even Hondo Anaka, who was truly a great character. If you say C-3PO, I'm going to crawl right through that goddamn screen. (laughs) No, I, I'm a big fan of <laughs> Plo Koon from the Clone Wars. Clo- the guy with the mask and the yeah. microphone, basically? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's one he, of the greatest Jedis ever. Right, who was actually the one who discovered Ahsoka, brought her to the Jedi Temple. It kind of led me to believe that during the vote in her trial, that Plo Koon... Yoda and maybe Obi-Wan were the only dissenting opinions from the council. Yeah. I mean, you knew Plo was on her side. You kind of, Yoda and, uh, and Obi-Wan was, you weren't really sure. My head cannon, Plo. My, my head cannon makes me want to believe that Obi-Wan did probably vote in her favor because he worked with her as much as he worked, as, as much as she worked with Anakin. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, there's just something there. But Plo Koon had a, in one of the early, uh, in the Malevolent arc in the uh, first season when, you know, the the uh, imper- the uh, Separatist dreadnought, the Malevolence, was just knocking out Republic ships left and right. Mm-hmm. And Plo Koon and some of his, the wolf pack, that was the name of his uh, clone unit after Commander Wolf, <laughs> the guy with the moral die. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, they're like stuck in escape pods, and they're noticing that the the droids are sending out um, like buzz droids to like crack open the escape pods and kill the clones. And you know, some of the clones are starting to despair the longer they're out there. And basically, like it's okay, sir. We're we're, we know we're expendable, you know, something along those lines. And Plo Koon just looks at him and he goes, yeah, not to up. me. Yeah. And no, that, that, that's a good. And you see that Plo Koon was one of the Jedi who actually seemed to care the most about his, his troops. Kind of like right. Anakin, like Obi-Wan. Unlike guys like Kiati Mundi and others who were just dirtbags to their troops. <laughs> but Plo Koon also seemed to show wisdom, 
kindness. He was also voiced by uh, the same guy who did Obi-Wan. So it almost sounds like the guy's doing his Obi-Wan thing in a mask. Yeah. <laughs> at times, but man, is it, was he a, a character who needed more screen time? And of course, if you know Dave Filoni, the story of Dave Filoni at all, you know that he's a huge Plo Koon fan. And that was the fake out that they had kind of floated around that it was going to be Plo Koon coming to the rescue of uh, Grogu and, and Mando and company against the, the dark troopers instead of Luke Skywalker. That's right. I so that was kind that of the false flag about. operation that they were throwing out there. Yeah. And to be honest with you, if Plo Koon showed up and hacked up some dudes. It would have been pretty freaking awesome. I would have been cool with that. Now, my inner super nerd fanboy who had read all these books of, you know, when Luke Skywalker was in his prime, just going and it would just wrecking dudes and becoming the bane of the Empire and everything like that. Yeah. He's getting <laughs> Luke Skywalker coming to the rescue and seeing him actually go full Jedi Knight that we've all wanted to see since the end of Return of the Jedi. Yes, that was probably the right call. Would I have been angry if Plo Koon showed up? Fuck no. No. Because I liked Plo Koon, like I said. I wouldn't have brought him up as an underrated character. You know what would have been the Koon problem, though? What's that? No one half else would know of, who he was? Half of, half or three quarters of the fans who only see the movies wouldn't know who he was. You're like, isn't that that dude who's always in the background of the prequels? Right. How did this guy live getting blown out of his starfighter? As opposed to seeing Cad Bane in the show because you could see a bad guy and be introduced to them for the first time without having to worry about context like that. Cause he had no, he had no, whatever, you know what I'm Cad talking about. Bane fucking rocks. I know. I, I love will Cad say Bane. this. I hope he's still point, alive. You know, if we don't get Hondo Anaka in one of these shows, it would be a crime. You know that they have a good uh, animatronic of him in um, Galaxy's oh Edge, right? Galaxy's Edge, yeah. It's a fantastic one. And my wife is like, who is that? I'm like, that, that's Hondo. That's Hondo up there. It's, it, Rebels? No. Clone War? No. Okay. Hondo. I love Hondo. <laughs> He's talking to Ezra. My best friends are Jedi. Yeah. Well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know but, that so yeah hondo was another the clone wars developed some great characters and not only did they create some outstanding characters but they also added more context to other characters yes you know, yes they background did. characters like the jedi council members who you just basically see in the background the closest thing most of those jedi council members get to having any sort of screen time is Maybe those one council, one or two council meetings, and then when they all died in the end of Revenge of the Sith, I get my death scene. Woo-hoo. Yeah, yeah. So, oh God. I mean, <laughs> it was just nuts. But my final one, and the one that was probably my primary reason for doing this, is one of the more recognizable characters on this list. The mighty Chewbacca, a character who has been in Star Wars since the very beginning, a character who is a fan favorite, and it was shown in all three trilogies and in <laughs> Rebels. 
Yep. And to be honest with you, he's a character who could show up in the Mandalorian or any of these other things. Why? Yep. Because they're already on their second actor on him. Tip of the hat to Peter Mayhew. Yep. Um, now, this is this you got to we got to talk about him for a second because you said he's a fan favorite. He figured prominently. <clears throat> But in the show, he is chronically underappreciated by his his compatriots. Well, yes. For starters, he should have gotten hugged by Leia. We've already discussed that. That is one of the biggest crimes of the sequel trilogy, is Chewie not getting hugged by Leia after Han dies. Yep. Fuck that. Hug of Rey. <laughs> you don't even know who the fuck she is. Nope. Okay? That was I think bullshit. I think she said like four sentences to they said four sentences to each other total. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that was bullshit. And of course, Chewie not getting a fucking medal. The original sin of Star Wars, Chewie mm-hmm. not getting the medal for certain, for the rescue of Luke Skywalker and the rebels during the Battle of Yavin. Which MTV did. They they tried to fix it <laughs> at the movie awards. It's, it's not in canon, though. <laughs> no, the Maz Kanata scene was weak because, one, Maz needed more screen time, too. That was a character that was grossly underserved. She was just underutilized, underserved, just completely underdeveloped, showing such <laughs> pros- progress that we've got nothing. Just like Phasma. Um... Maz Kanata. Oh, well, gets... I mean, Finn. <laughs> Finn. Also, a guy who featured prominently whose characterization dropped off as the movies went along. Yeah. Because I liked John Boyega in, in Star Wars. I thought he was great. He was showed personality. He showed some naivete. He was, yeah. he was a little bit, to be honest with you, he was a little bit more like Luke Skywalker was. Oh, more, he, than, he... more than Ray in, in with the whole. He had the better journey. I mean, Ray was just gifted her powers, but he was he, he was finding it. himself. Yeah, I, Finn definitely deserved more love. And of course, he had a couple of the better lines in the movies. We'll use the force. <laughs> That's not how this works. He served us a... he served <laughs> up the softball for the greatest line in the <laughs> sequel trilogy. <laughs> Where also there was a great interaction with Han Solo and Chewbacca. Oh, you're cold? Oh, you're cold? <laughs> you know, I mean, you get, you see Chewie's like, you know, where he just goes ham on people. Or, or I mean, you get to see him in Solo a little bit. He gets a little more in Solo. You get to see how they meet. Not bad. Han basically did help him escape. Yep. But Chewie, and Chewie actually helped uh, Ahsoka escape from Trandoshan bounty hunters. This is true, too. I'm just trying to think of the timeline. So Kashyyyk fell, right? To, yes. In, in um, to uh, the, Revenge of the Sith? Well, the clones were helping the Wookiees fight the Separatists. And when the Separatists right. through an army fell fell and the clones took over with Yoda there they the Wookiees basically got oppressed by 
the Empire. It wouldn't surprise me if you see this show up in the Bad Batch at some point coming up. Yeah. Now, word I think I think Kashyyyk is where Luminari, Luminari and Dua was. Luminari and Dua was uh, captured by the new Empire. Master Luminara, she was the green one with like the the nuns she habit. The green Twilight? No, she was no, that was Ayla Sakura. She was the green <laughs> one with the with the dark with the dark makeup who kind of looked like she dressed like a nun, like a warrior okay. nun. And then uh, she was Barris Offie's master. What what was her name again? Uh, Luminara and Dooley. And Dooley. Luminara and Dooley. I'm gonna just spell, you know, spell it out, and I'm sure the Google foos will will help me. Nope. Oh, okay. Don't go to DuckDuckGo and do it. That's for sure. Anyway, I'll, I'll I'll take your word for it. So rumor has it that she's on. She was on Kashyyyk. Yes. So supposedly she. Uh, no nonsense, Jedi Master Luminara unduly uh, fought in Clone Wars battles such as Geonosis and Kashyyyk and was thought to have perished during Order 66. In reality, she'd been taken into Imperial custody, executed, and her holographic transmissions oh, yeah. beamed out to, as bait for Jedi. So, yes. Um, but anyway, Kashyyyk was, of course, the Wookiee homeworld, of course. Chewie didn't get nearly as much love, even in his supposed own special. <laughs> yeah. Fucking holiday special. They focus more on <laughs> Chewie's weird family. But and Chewbacca... uncle. Oh, gross. <laughs> Chewbacca in Legends had... And it, it, this actually is what stopped me f- for like 10 years from reading Star Wars novels. When they killed Chewbacca, I was so mad... I was oh, so mad. They I killed him. Reading. They killed him in Legends. Yeah. Uh, you want to know how he died in Legends, though? Oh, don't tell me it's like a really crappy way. No, dude, it was fucking a boss way to go. Okay, good. They at least they at least gave him a hero's way out. Han and Chewie and Han's kids were on a planet that was being basically had been. Uh, 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 a natural ma- uh, a natural disaster with the moon crashing into the planet um, forced by the Yuzhan Vong from Legends and they in the Millennium Falcon was trying to evacuate some of the last survivors and Chewie was one of the last ones on the ground and Han and Leia's youngest son Anakin was still stuck and Chewie threw him into the Falcon and they took off, but they couldn't turn back for Chewie. And Chewie was right there at ground zero when the moon fell. And he turns oh. and he looks up at the at the moon and, ro- and roars in rage just as he's crushed by the fucking moon. Oh Jesus. If you're gonna go out, gotta go out like a boss. That's <sighs> Had to take a moon to kill him. Fuck yeah. 
So Disney not killing Chewbacca actually was I was okay with that. Well, I mean, I think everyone was okay with that. Especially when I realized that in Rise of Skywalker, wait a minute, weren't there two ships? <laughs> right. So there was the fake out. And yeah. I guess, I guess in the unused, there was some concept art of Chewie, like, suspended being, like, tortured by Kylo Ren. That would have been an interesting scene to a film. Ugh. I mean, it's like, basically, it'd be like torturing his uncle. Yeah, that that, that doesn't feel right. I'm glad no, they didn't it, do that. I, 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 I'm just a, a sucker for more Chewbacca. I don't care yeah. if you can't understand him. I mean, he's easily one of the bravest and most loyal, uh, you know, people you could ever have around you. Could, you know, put a droid back together, put a starship back together, carried a big ass fucking crossbow uh, bow, that's not a crossbow caster yeah <laughs> or han solo basically has a fucking hard on shooting it and yeah force I like He's like i like this and it's huge too yeah, yeah. <laughs> a character powerful. who is ever there who people recognize who a lot of people like but who i still think is very underrated and maybe underserved well, uh, you get no argument. I think he's like the ultimate one, underrated, underserved. Why do you think I put him at the end? Well, I, I know that. I'm just saying. I, I'm trying to help put a bow on your on your tie in here. So <laughs> the ultimate underrated character in star in sci-fi. Yeah. No. Agreed. I mean, it was pretty egregious as it's said, but uh, I can't add any more to that. The, the you win your case, counselor. Let the Wookiee win. <laughs> well, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap things up here? Nah, man, I just fucking crushed this one. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. And I'm just gonna be sitting back here, not as an underappreciated character, but as what they call in the gaming world an NPC. <laughs> so, on that note, everyone, you guys keep dreaming. You we'll keep home. working. And you guys keep working, and we'll keep dreaming. I don't care. I'm PSVK. Later, everyone. DT Cash Man. We'll see you on the high ground. Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by AlphaSight Productions, produced by DT Cavman and P.S. McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow P.S. McKay on Twitter at P.S. McKay, or go to thosescifiguys.com for past episode information.